Welcome to the Maker Vision Podcast, a podcast where we help you take your ideas from a dream to reality. Each episode will cover topics to help you overcome frustrations we all encounter in our maker community. I'm Trevor Wanamaker, a part-time maker running MakerExperiment.com, and my co-host Stephen Ellis is a part-time woodworker running Old South Woodcraft. We have both encountered bumps and pitfalls along the road we call making, and we are using this podcast to help you avoid the same pitfalls. Welcome to Maker Vision Podcasts. This is episode 16, Tool Restoration and Repairs. And uh, if anyone listening right now doesn't, under- doesn't understand why Stephen is talking, it's because Trevor is not with us tonight. So it is myself, Stephen, and one of our favorite guest co-hosts, uh, Martina, with Naughty by Nature Woodworking. Martina, how are you doing tonight? Good. I'm feeling honored now that... I'm the favorite one. I like to think that I was the best one as well. So, you I, know, to come back the second time. Well, that's very privilege. true. That's yeah. very, very true. I mean, you're definitely my favorite because you do woodworking. So, you know, <laughs> that's that's always a, that's always a plus in my book. So, what have you what have you been into today? Because it's still well, it's still daytime where you're at. At least it's still day. Yeah, it is. It's uh. I'm just wrapping up my day now. I got this shelving unit that I've been working on finished up for kind of a boutique gym that's in the area. So hopefully I can get that delivered and, and installed tomorrow. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I saw that earlier. Um, does Is like the sign, is it part of it? Or is it just like, is it two pieces that'll eventually like the sign goes on the wall and then there's the shelving unit underneath. It's mounted to the shelving unit, so that's the logo of the gym that it's going to. Okay. Um, All right. So it's two and a half dimensional, and it's poured with um, some epoxy in it. And then I used India ink for the stain on it. That's, oh, wow. That stuff is, I'm in love with it, because you can actually get a true black, and you just mm-hmm. apply it like paint. So I, I actually started looking to see if they did any other colors with it too, because I was like, I'm going to get away from stain and just use this stuff from now on. But it's impossible to find any other colors that come in more than a one ounce bottle. Yeah, India ink is because I think it's I think it's printer's ink, I believe. So normally yeah. it's like it's super super thin because it goes on like, I mean they they pour one whole bottle out on a set of rollers and that's it, and that lasts for a decent amount of printing, I think. Um, but I know, I mean, a lot of people use India ink and it's, it works out really, really well. So you definitely like your piece definitely looks killer in the Instagram post. It has, um, shellac in it too, which is nice. So it kind of, I feel like it feels a little bit more durable once I put the finish on it too. Because it okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. Nice good old versus going in and out and everything. Good old shellac, you uni- universal finish. I love it. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, my, uh, my, I guess my day or evening, because uh, it's evening here where I'm, where, where I'm recording at in South Carolina, has been pretty much the usual for me lately. It's just been work, 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 and then come back to a hotel, take a shower, get cleaned up, and then eat, and then come back. And well, tonight I'm recording, which is, that's the highlight of, highlight of my week. Uh, but normally it would be either reports or watching television or a combination of both, unfortunately. You might have to start whittling so you have something to do with a problem woodworking related. I thought about that, but then I did it a little, I think like two weeks ago at a buddy's house and like made a huge mess all over myself. Luckily we were on his porch and it was, we were just sitting outside like burning wood anyway, so it wasn't like too big of an issue, but I'm pretty sure... The maid staff at the hotel would not be enthused like trying to suck up wood chips and a vacuum cleaner. So, uh, I guess big thing, of course, as usual. What are you watching? What are you like? What are you doing outside of making right now? I just saw Venom in theaters, which is good. I thought I'm into that whole franchise, though the Marvel superhero movies. Uh, but I thought it was really good. I tried not to listen to 
feedback or critiques of movies before I go see them so I can make my own judgments. But now everyone can hear my critique and say when I say it's good. That's good. That's good. I don't um I don't see as many movies as I would like, unfortunately. It's just not something that that I do like I used to in high school. I used to what like I used to just rent movies or go to the movies all the time, but when you're single in high school, that's about the only thing to do. You know, <laughs> if you don't have a girlfriend, it that's pretty much your Saturday night is like watching a movie. Well, we, we didn't have like Netflix streaming then either. So now Netflix in high school, it's like you ordered it, you waited a few days, you got it, and you were so excited to have like that brand new movie on DVD, and then a week later, Blockbuster would have it or something like that. Right. Which totally dates me because I use the word Blockbuster. I was going to say, we're going back now with Blockbuster. Exactly, exactly. Oh, man. But that, okay, so you're, so Venom is good. So we, mm-hmm. we've established that Venom is good, which I kind of figured it was because Tom Hardy, he could play any part, honestly, and he, he would be amazing at it. Uh, so that definitely helps. But, I mean, in general, most Marvel things have been great. So far. So far. So far. The Some of the Netflix Marvel shows I've not liked, but that's just because I don't think I like the storyline. I think that was just me and not liking the storyline. But who knows? I've watched a lot of those too. I think it's because the the characters aren't as big as the other ones that are actually in theaters. So if you don't know their story, then it doesn't matter that it's coming to life. Yeah. Honestly, though, I love Jessica Jones. I think Jessica Jones would probably be like, if they could take one and move it to the movie, like to a movie, I think Jessica Jones would be great. I just started watching Punisher. That one's pretty good good so far. Yeah. Punisher's definitely good. Definitely, definitely good. So I wish I had something as cool as, you know, going to see Venom as my, like, what I've watched recently. But I don't. Like, I think pretty much here lately, because I've been out of town, I either rewatch History Channel shows or watch Food Network. And then whenever I'm back home, I watch every, I get caught back up on everything on Xbox that's been waiting for me for the week. So, of course, oh, like Goldbergs and... Uh, goodness gracious! American Housewife and a bunch of other just like thirty-minute sitcom comedies. There's nothing wrong with Food Network while you're out of the house. Though. Do what? The There's nothing wrong with Food Network though while you're out of the house and in the hotel. I love Food Network. I love I love Food Network too. I started watching uh, Food Network Star last night. I don't know which season because the seasons have all gotten like. From going from being on TV to, like, actually being, like, on Xbox, the timing's completely off, so I have no idea where any of it is anymore. Who knows? Who knows? So you want to just, you want to delve into the topic of tool restoration and repair? No, you got to teach me your wisdom. I was sending you those photos earlier, but those tools are actually from my pegboard. I didn't go search them out, so this pegboard was... My stepdad, so I haven't actually gone through the tools in two years now, and I decided to last week to make room to put my stuff up on it. Mm-hmm. So I found that combination square, a couple wrenches, there's a couple pool saws on there. Those are the only work, but now i got to restore them, so this is perfect for us to talk about now. Oh yeah, I thought it would be I thought it'd be rather appropriate tonight. We'll get away from the uh, the real tech-heavy stuff and go, go back to the, the bread and butter of hand tools. Um, since Trevor, since Trevor cannot join us this evening, we will, we'll keep the, uh, keep the tech savvy guy out of it for tonight. Um, so I, you sent me pictures of what you have. You have a Stanley, I can't think of the name of it right now, because I actually have that same combination square. I believe it was made like in the 50s, 60s as kind of just a go-to, just general purpose square for the homeowner or like someone just doing kind of hobby work. Um, so basically what it was for, I think was basically kind of as a precursor to a speed square because you notice like it's got the little slot in it. You can automatically set it to six inches, which is what a normal speed square is. So you can just boom, set it on a two by four, a two by six and lay out, you know, your cut line pretty quick, or you can extend it out to that 12 inches a combination square normally is. Not mine. Mine's rusted, rusted in one spot right now. 
Well, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> we will we will establish how to fix and repair those things because that's one of my favorite one of my favorite things about woodworking is just old woodworking tools. Um, so every I would I would say most most I wouldn't say everyone but most um, woodworkers I see nowadays have. You know, they start with their table saw, they might have a circular saw, jigsaw, drill, impact driver, and a couple other, like, just normal, everyday, go-to sort of carpentry tools, but not necessarily anything fine woodworking or traditional woodworking. And then all of a sudden, some, you know, their neighbor down the street, retired guy, he's moving, he doesn't want to move his stuff, or... You know, unfortunately, somebody in the family dies, and it's like, all right, who do we give this stuff to? Nobody really knows what it is, but it's it's woodworking stuff. Let's just give it to the one person in the family that does woodworking. And people people have this stuff show up all the time, and in in the strangest of ways. Um, and a lot of times, because it's somebody that either is retired and moving, or possibly died, the tools have not seen good proper repair, you know, maintenance things like that in quite some time. So a lot of times they're rusty. Good tools are generally rusty tools because new steel doesn't rust as doesn't doesn't have that layer of rust on it like old like old steel does and and my favorite thing is old steel. So you showed me pictures of two it looks like two sort of monkey wrenches or like a standard plumbing wrench. I would I would call it a plumbing wrench as opposed to a monkey wrench. So they've got two, like two pair or a pair of of very like heavy tooth jaws and a simple screw gear on the back to open and close them pretty quickly, correct? Yeah. Okay, and then you've got that Stanley combination square. Yeah, that's a, I couldn't even read what it was, so you already know more than me, and I have it in my possession. I would, I would think it's a Stanley. It looks, it looks almost identical to the one I have, so I'm thinking it's a Stanley, either possibly a four-square or defiance line. So those would both be in the homeowner sort of time frame, uh, or as far as like is quality of the mater- quality of the tool and timeline in when Stanley would have made them. Um, so pretty much Stanley's kind of u- ubiquitous for hand tools, especially woodworking hand tools. They they've been around for a long time. They made lots and lots and lots of tools, especially in the heyday of the. Oh, it's not baby boomers. What's the the I guess the greatest generation is that what the World War II vets are called? Correct. I'm not sure. That's the generation right before baby boomers. Maybe I think the right before the baby boomers was was the greatest generation. Don't hold me to that. I'm not the greatest with remembering those things. Yes. I just know that I'm a millennial. I really <laughs> prefer not to be. Right. But I fall within the millennial category, and I hate it. I hate it so bad. People listening, and they'll be answering the question. Hopefully, someone sends us a message. Hopefully, hopefully someone will tell us what how the brackets of of uh, I guess generations go. But yeah, Stanley made Stanley made uh, a lot of tools in the time of the I guess the greatest generation and baby boomers for homeowners, people that were coming back from war. Um, tract homes were were quite the rage, especially starting after World War II, because all these vets came home. They had extra cash in their pocket. They needed some place to live. Or they were, or they were still in the military, and they were not staying on post anymore. They needed to have their own place. They had a family. They wanted, you know, they wanted to keep their family at home as opposed to sticking them on a post somewhere. So tract homes were really big. So a lot of tools came around for that particular generation for people that wanted to kind of do some of their own homeowner work. Are they fine woodworking tools? Not necessarily, but you can make them fine woodworking pretty pretty efficiently so i don't i mean do you have any planes right now other than okay so you don't have any you don't have any hand planes well not a hand plane yeah they're all electric okay so everything everything's electric for you all right so um trying to think what would i'm trying to think where where i need to go with this but i guess hand planes are the things that are kind of i guess ubiquitous with with woodworkers, because a hand plane is only really meant to work wood. I guess technically you could work a soft, non-ferrous metal with it. I don't know that it would be the most efficient way to handle, like, brass or copper, but you could. 
But no matter what you do, you have to restore and maintain, or you have to repair and maintain tools, which we're supposed to have another episode on that later on down the road. So I'm going to talk about the restoration and repair sort of thing. So you have the two wrenches and the combination square. The combination square you said has, is completely seized, correct? Okay, what about the two wrenches? What about those? We have more movement in them, but I haven't tried to... I don't want to put them to use and then break it. Gotcha. Black from you know, people that use hand tools. So. Uh, you won't... The good news is about plumbing tools. Uh, if you've ever met a plumber, a lot of times a plumbing tool... Like most, like most trades, any tool can be a hammer in the right hands. So, I mean, even myself, I will still treat a monkey wrench like crap because most of the time they're, they're on really, you know, you know, tough stuff like old galvanized pipe that's basically just rusted together. They get treated pretty badly. So a lot of times you'll get tools like that in really rough shape that aren't well, that aren't well maintained. Um, so, you know, if you want to try to re restore them, I guess I'll give you the kind of the breakdown for it. Uh, your two biggest factors are broken missing, which is any movable part, any major part that is broken or missing. Handles, I don't consider that a necessary part sometimes. Like on the wrenches that you have, they do have wood, mm -hmm. but you could still use the wrench without the wood. It's still got a metal body that you could grip, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, like on a chisel, if a chisel doesn't have a wood handle, it's it's kind of useless at that point. You can still pair with it. You know, you can still kind of dig a little bit with it, but it's not going to be the most efficient use of that particular tool. So I generally don't consider any wooden parts to be completely necessary except for hand planes. If you don't have a, a tote or a knob in the front, you can't really get that momentum you need for a hand plane. And then your other major category is rust because good tools are made out of good metal and good metal rusts. Ferrous ferrous metal rusts all the time. It doesn't matter how like how quality the, the the steel is, it doesn't matter if it's like bottom of the barrel just straight up carbon steel or the your finest A102 or something like that. It's tool steel. It's still going to rust. It's still ferrous. It, it reacts the same way with water and air. So those are your two your two major things um, when 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 working on tool restoration is the broken broken missing or the rust. And this I consider the simpler one is the rust thing. So um, how I guess how bad a rust would you say is on the on the combination square? You said that it won't move at all. The little I guess the little thumb knob to to adjust the actual sliding mechanism. You can tell that there's numbers on there, so it's not. Okay. Completely. All right. All right. So is it completely pitted at all, or is it just is it mostly like surface and just that it's a surface, some are on like the threads? It, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. So on that in that regard, a lot of times without chemicals or without a lot of work, you can actually get a lot of surface rust off with just taking a simple oil like uh, three-in-one oil, that little, that little can that your grandmother had in, like on her, like next to her sewing machine or in a cabinet or something like that, that same little can that everyone's grandmother or grandfather had for years. You can kind of squirt that on there, leave it sitting in the sun to help it absorb, and actually just scrape it off with a, with a, with a nice razor blade or a little scrub brush. You can scrape a lot of that rust off. That oil might be a self thing because none of my grandparents ever had that. You've never heard of three-in-one oil? No. Okay. All right. It's I know it's not a southern thing because I've seen a lot of people use three-in-one oil. Why it's called three-in-one, uh, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I never look close enough. Okay. Well, then again, I mean, California, do you, do you guys even have yeah. oil? Do they do they allow you to have oil in California? Probably hemp oil. Yeah, <laughs> hemp oil, hemp oil. Well, hey, I mean, if you want to try that, give it a whirl. If it's cheap enough, buy it and see if, uh, see if it works. I have no idea. I don't know anything about hemp oil. Neither do I, so... I don't know. Maybe maybe some of our Colorado listeners or maybe some of our go. Seattle listeners might know a little bit more about hemp oil. <laughs> but I mean, any sort of quality, I guess, I would say petroleum-based oil, 
If you put it on a rusted metal part that's not badly pitted, if it's just a surface rust and let it sit generally in the sun for a couple hours, you can actually get a lot of that off because that soil's gonna that oil's gonna soak in and try to break up that bond between the rust and the metal part, whatever that is itself. And I said, you know, I said, you know, using a razor blade. A lot of people use a razor blade to get to just scrape off, scrape off rust. It's cheap. It's very efficient. And if you do it right, it won't damage the metal underneath because a razor blade is normally pretty cheap metal. It's it's sharp, but I mean, you've probably broken off a razor blade before using it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's super super brittle metal, so it's generally not going to damage whatever you're trying to scrape, unless it maybe have unless it has paint on it. Your combination square, the the rule part of the combination square shouldn't have any paint on it. The the I guess the head part of it should have paint. So you don't want to use the razor blade on that. If not, you're going to scrape the paint off and then have to repaint it, which is a pain in the butt. You don't see any paint. No, so I'm trying to like I'm trying to look. There you go. I'm trying to look at the picture you sent me earlier to see. It looks like there is some black paint on there. So that part would then probably be best to go into my next thing, which is chemical-based. Um, distilled white vinegar. Okay. It's, a, it's a weak acid. It's acetic acid. So I think it's only like a five and a half on the pH scale. But it's still an acid, um, so you have to be careful using it. You don't want to put it in your eye. I have to say that because people... I don't know. People will do things. I just people will do things, and I and I and I can't be held responsible for someone's failure to to properly use chemicals. Yes, you could probably drink distilled white vinegar, and it wouldn't hurt for a little while. Then you would get a tummy ache, but putting it in your eye is going to hurt. It's not going to be good. So don't put don't put distilled white vinegar in your eye. It almost sounds like you know from experience. What distilled? Well, I mean, I've worked with like with a lot of different chemicals over the years that's part that's par for the course for my job you can actually get like a heavier grade vinegar i think uh it's like four and a half on the ph scale and i had a guy one time get it on his hand and he had like a hangnail it got down inside the hangnail and started like eating next to his fingernail wow it wasn't bad, but it definitely it looked like crap after that. It looked it looked a little rough. So it I mean it wasn't enough to go to the emergency room, but he he didn't like it. He didn't like it for sure. And that being said, I mean it is an acid, so whatever metal parts you put in distilled white vinegar, mix up baking soda with water. Um, I forget what the ratio is. I could look at I could probably look it up and and find out. But basically, baking soda is basic. And you, when you combine the the acid with the base, it's going to come out to be neutral. So it'll go back to being water. So any of your parts, don't let them sit too long in distilled white vinegar. Um, I would suggest the distilled white vinegar for the painted parts because it generally doesn't affect paint too bad, uh, depending on the quality of the paint. If it's spray paint, I've seen that eat spray paint before if it sits in there for quite a while. Um, but japanning which is what they put on planes like quality planes it shouldn't affect that um, i've used it for a lot of different things but still you have to just keep an eye on it you don't want to sit you don't let it sit there for too long and then once you get it out rub off the, the loose stuff and then dip it in that water and baking soda bath pretty quick so you can stop the chemical reaction after that honestly you can just take a you can take once again take that uh, razor blade to it and scrape off more of the uh, more of the rust or whatever whatever sort of left on there. Or my personal favorite is a um, is a wire wheel, just a cheap wire wheel in a uh, drill press. So, do you have an angle grinder by chance? No. You do. You do or don't. I do not. Okay. All right. Because you can get little attachments for an angle grinder that have like a little wire wheel. You can. Right. I've I've mounted my angle grinder in a vise before whenever I didn't have a drill press and then just took parts to the to the wire brush and that works great. You can actually get a crazy amount of shine off of that. Angle grinder's on my wish list, so this might just 
The good news about an angle grinder is they're cheap. I mean, I would for sure say a Harbor Freight angle grinder, unless you're using it every day, actually works really well. I've had the same one for like four or five years. It's they work well. Yeah. So, I mean, and I use an, I use and abuse mine quite a bit. I used it for all kinds of stuff. So it's, and it's still kicking around. It doesn't look great, but it's still kicking. So, so there we go. There's our, there's my, my tip for the day. If you don't have a drill press for a wire wheel, you can buy wire wheel cups. You want to get the cup kind. It's, it, it's probably about like two inches overall and it's, it threads right on to an angle grinder. And you can chuck the angle grinder in a, uh, in, a, in a big vise or clamp it down to your workbench and just take your take whatever it is you want to, to put in that, you know, on that brush and take it right to that. Yep, 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 yep. And I guess my last one for, for the rusty, rusty, dusty, grimy is, uh, is evapo-rust. Uh, I'll preach the evapo-rust evapo-rust cause as much as I can because I love it. They've got great customer service. I had an issue with them recently uh, with a, with something they that I had from them. It was a, I don't know if it was a bad batch, if it got frozen. I don't know what the heck happened to it. That I posted the gel that they have. You know, it looked like yellow snot. I think you, were, I think you responded to my story. Yeah. 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 So they responded like within 24 hours, had great customer service. It was like, dude, that is not right. It's not supposed to look like that at all. It don't know why it's yellow. Don't know what's wrong with it. And they're like, here, we'll just send you a new one. Now, are they going to do that for everyone that has a bad, you know, has, has a bad product? I can't guarantee that, but I will say their customer service and their social media is on point. They've got really good social media. So and what do what? No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, so do you I've been talking. the, the evaporust for smaller items or like larger surface areas? Okay, so evaporust comes in two forms. Uh, it has a liquid, which I use for small stuff. I actually just got a new tank to put it in. Um, it does actually evaporate like water, so you have to be careful that you need to put it in something that you can either cover or put a lid on. Um, so it, it's got a liquid that you just literally pour in like water and then you dip your parts or like, um, cause I was going to get into this recently, but you already brought it up like uh, a joiner, like the joiner that you had, that you just got yeah, or a table saw. Do what? I didn't do the top of the joiner. Yeah. So they make a gel that's good for, I think they said that you can do completely vertical surfaces, which I mean, a joiner other than the back is that back reference face back? I don't know exactly what to call that little piece that slides back and forth across the front. Like that, that's basically the 90, 90 degree to make sure you're 90 degrees to the bed. I don't know exactly what that. I get, I guess maybe it is a fence. Okay. You're new to the joint and you do hand tools. So I'm a hand, I'm a hand tool guy. So I don't, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. So you could probably, you could put their evapo rust gel on that, leave it set for, I'd say an hour, two hours the most, probably because your joiner looked like it wasn't that bad of shape to begin with, correct? You cut out, it doesn't look what? Your, your joiner didn't look like it was in that bad of shape, correct? It's not, it's not terrible, but it definitely needs some work. Okay. So I would recommend the VapoRush gel and okay. leave it set for about an hour or two hours, follow the directions. And I think they say to like rinse off the residue um, since I haven't got to try my actual like evapo rust gel to see what it's supposed to actually do, I haven't been able to try the rinsing off. But I would imagine it's you know you probably take off the bulk with a rag and then actually rinse the residue off because you're. I know I'm going to be one of those type of people that probably puts on more than I need, and I would assume most people probably will. You know, if it says if it says use a tablespoon, I'm gonna use like a like a half cup. Yeah. Okay. Man, I'm gonna I'm like, you know, like if it works in an hour using a tablespoon and I use a half a cup, it's gonna work in like ten minutes. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's that's how chemistry works, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just simple it's just simple. So you the joiner and that wood shaper too. The yes. wood shaper is really bad. Yes. So the wood shaper I actually would be perfect for the evaporust liquid to take those cutter heads out because those things, 
I don't know what the heck they make them out of, but those daggum, like, all the molder planes or molding, like, profile bits I've ever seen, those things rust so quick. They're expensive to replace, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's not like just getting some knives for your joiner. I was really shocked when I saw how much they were. Yeah, yeah. But the good news is you could completely redo every bit of baseboard, crown mold, and any other profile shape in your house for, like, cheap after that. Right. I did that uh, console table with the tongue and groove, like, ship up. Mm-hmm. I thought, man, if I had the wood shaper up and running, I could have just made my own tongue and groove rather than paying extra to have it already done for me. Yeah. I mean, you, there's potential you could get, like, you could, like, gang, like, three or four boards together and just do all, just do, like, all the tongues at once on that shaper. Just, like, push one big old block of wood through and be, exactly. it's like, boom, you have four done. I'll be sending them out to the street because I'll need the space. So. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, cause I feel like I've been talking for so long. What questions do you have while I'm still on the subject of like the rust removal stuff? Do you ever use WD-40? I recommend it. It's not that I don't recommend it. It's just, I got in the habit of using uh, PB Blaster, which is a it's, do what? I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's it's made in Cleveland. I really like it. I've been using it for probably a decade and a half or so since I was a an industrial contractor. That's the only thing they used. We would carry like cans of it at a time, just somewhere in the back of a flatbed truck just in all the boxes there was just cans of it we would use it for all kinds of stuff it's it's great i think it outperforms wd-40 hands down any day but everybody's different i'm not going to say that wd-40 is bad i'm just going to say that pb blaster is a lot better and I'll, i'll i'll definitely be on the pb blaster train for sure and it's made in america it's made in cleveland so it's always nice to have an american made product even though I would assume WD-40 is made in America, too. I just honestly don't know. I've never, I haven't bought any in like a decade. Well, because it lasts that long. So. (laughs) Well, I guess for the average person, yes. For me, I go through cans pretty frequently. I have to buy extra because I always lose where I put my original can. So then now I have a stockpile of the four big size cans. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Always, always, always got to have extra, especially something like that. Anything in an aerosol can, have extras of it. I don't know why they just always die much quicker. It's like spray paint. Every time, it's like a one-time deal these days. You go and spray it, and then it clogs up, and you have to throw it away. Exactly. It's like a waste of a waste of aerosol. Yeah, you spray finish they spray your polyurethane, and I was like, oh, this is the only time I'm ever going to use it. It's oh gonna yeah. Be, it's going to be clogged up by the next time I go for it. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, that was actually a good, like, a good question about the WD forty because that kind of led me into like post rust cleanup. Um, if you use like a wire, like a like a wire brush, a motorized wire brush, whether it's on a grinder or on a drill press, as you as you like get the rust off, it's gonna slowly heat, like build up heat. It's gonna eventually get pretty hot, especially if it's a thin piece. It'll okay. get hot pretty quick. But what I do is if it's a thin piece like, say, maybe a plane iron or a chip breaker on a plane, if it gets, because it's going to get hot a lot quicker, I immediately take and spray oil on it and then let it sit in a, because I have a pan that specifically I use just to restore stuff. I have parts to be cleaned, parts that have oil, and then parts that are just sitting waiting to be wiped down. Um, so as the, as the metal gets hot, it's the perfect opportunity for it to for you to apply the oil because the pores are open it's going to help hold the oil and whatever whatever's not stuck in the metal once say once you're maybe 30 minutes after or after doing your cleaning and everything wipe it off because that re- that pretty much is gonna, that pretty much says to me that the metal can't hold any more oil or it's not going to take any more oil at this point so wipe off all the residue because you don't want any oil to be transferred onto your wood because you know it's it, that that ruins a project instantly. So with all this stuff, do you have to worry about well ventilated area and wearing a mask or white gloves um, and protection? 
It depends. It depends on the situation. Evapo Rust, thankfully, is a non-toxic. Like it, it's it's skin safe. I wear gloves anyways, just because I, a lot of the parts are pretty nasty whenever I'm handling them. So I just automatically wear gloves. But the Evapo Rust is a type of product that you can literally stick your hand in the bucket, grab your part, and pull it out, and it's not going to do anything to your hand other than make it soapy and kind of sticky. Okay. Because that that's part of the formulation is it's got some sort of uh, surfactant or soap in it to help get the rust off. So it, it'll, it'll leave like a sticky residue on your hand. Um, but other than that, I mean, I generally don't wear gloves doing any of this work other than handling the raw parts uh, or spraying the oil because no one wants to have WD-40 smell on their hands for the next like three hours. And I feel like that oil you can't even get off your hands. Yeah, I it's, use fast, it's the fast orange and everything like that, and it's still yeah. You can't get that. You can't get that petroleum smell off your hands. It's it just <laughs> doesn't come off at all. Yeah, but no. Um, as far as like as far as the stripping the rust, if there's paint on a piece and I'm stripping that, I will generally do that outside, especially if I'm using a wire wheel, because I don't know what kind of paint it is. I mean, I'm generally dealing in older, much older stuff than the average person. So lead-based paint is pretty common on older tools, older equipment. Technically, it's technically lead-based paint isn't illegal, other than home use. You can't you can't use lead-based paint at home since the uh, '78 or '79. I'd have to look at the law again. Um, but on tools, it's totally legal because generally That's tools. Actually good to know. Yeah, so tools um, tools might have lead-based paint on them. Even a brand-new tool might have lead-based paint um, because, one, kids are not... I mean, kids generally shouldn't have tools, um, so lead is really just affecting the children population. And, two, because it's not for food... You know, it's not... You're not consuming food. You shouldn't drink water off of it. I don't know who's going to be drinking water off a tool that has water on it. I don't know. That makes no sense, but... Basically, it falls in the the category of industrial use or commercial use, and that eliminates the fact that lead-based paint can't be used. So just that's one of the things to be aware of. Now, most tools will have a thin paint on them, possibly enamel. Uh, newer tools have acrylic um, because it, it just dries fast and it works well. Or powder coating. If it's a, like a heavy base for something, it's probably going to be powder coated which I don't believe has any lead in it because it's just a it's just a dust pigment that as it bakes it becomes it becomes liquid and then bonds to the metal. So newer newer stuff depending on what it is may have lead-based paint. It probably doesn't, but I'm not going to say without a doubt it doesn't. Yeah, old stuff Yeah, old stuff still has lead-based paint. I can almost guarantee that. Japaning on hand planes which is just generally just in the sole of the hand plane, just the base of it. It's that thick, super shiny, like kind of really deep black color is called Japaning. I don't believe that has lead-based paint in it because that's a kind of combination of paint, pigment, and also tar. It's, it's weird how that formulation goes, and there's guys that know a lot more about hand tools that can tell you everything about Japaning. I just know from trying to restore hand tools and knowing that I never want to try to Japan a hand tool. It's just not, it's not a fun thing to do. Um, but your other PPE that you do want to be aware of for sure is eye protection and respiratory protection, um, at least a dust mask. If you're going to be trying to grind rust off, not, ne not necessarily even paint, but just rust because it's, it's not, that necessarily toxic to you, but you really don't want to be inhaling that stuff. It's nasty. It's got oil in it. It's got metal shavings in it. It's got a bunch of other just not fun stuff for you. So how do you know if a tool is worth really taking the time to restore? That is dependent on the person. Myself, I know what tools that I want and what tools that I value. In reality, I pretty much value every hand tool. I think they all have some purpose, some use, even if that use is just collecting dust because it looks pretty. Everyone has to have their something that looks pretty. Um, now, for a for the average woodworker, 
most of them are going to have tools that are going to be useful. They're going to be usable hand tools or usable tools in general. And um, that's going to be up to the person. That's going to be up to the individual that buys it. Uh, people that restore and collect hand tools professionally, they're looking at specific things. They're looking at manufacturers, patent dates, manufacturing dates. A lot of things go into the hand tool collection world. And honestly, I haven't even scratched the surface of it. There are guys that spent that've spent like half their lives collecting and repairing, restoring these tools that know a lot more than I ever could. Is so, there like a, a go-to website or anything that you have, or you just start typing stuff in? To to figure out, are you talking about like value yeah, to, collectability? To see, to see like when it was produced and. Oh okay okay um. Most major manufacturers have people like myself or those guys that I was talking about that do this. That's like their only thing that they do is collect and restore hand tools. They've put out independent information. Um, there's a, a, if you want to know about Stanley hand planes, I think Stanley Bailey specifically, there is a website called Blood and Gore. Which is it's it's weird. I know it's a strange name, uh, but Blood and Gore has a bunch of stuff about Stanley hand planes. There's also um, oh gosh, I think Virginia Hand Tools or Virginia Tool Works, a guy in kind of like Central Virginia that's got some good information about different hand tools um, for hand saws, which is something I haven't even thought about covering thus far because, good lord, nobody uses a hand saw anymore. <laughs> except for us weird hand tool guys. Um, there are specific people that still that still collect this information, that still have it. Uh, there's one, Henry Diston and Sons. Um, there's somebody that made the, called the Distonian Institute mm -hmm. that has all the information about Dis Henry Diston and Sons saws, their all their characteristics, their handle styles, their handle shapes, when they were in production, who the production was for, this, that, and the other. There, there's a lot of information out there. You just have to kind of know some basics about the particular item you're talking about. Um, it's hard to know a lot about saws unless they have a badge on them. And the badge is normally about the size of a nickel or a quarter, and it's going to be one of the, if you have the handle, in your right hand and the blade is facing towards the left, it's normally going to be on the front, second or third down from the top. It's going to be a little badge that's got their emblem on it. Um, and that will tell you if it's a Distant, an Atkins, a... Oh, goodness gracious, I'm trying to think of all the hand tool manufacturers. Those are the two that I can think of right off the top of my head. A um, Keen Cutter, which was not manufactured by Keen. It was manufactured by someone else and sold under that name. There's a lot of there's a lot a lot of hand tools. It's a it's a deep dark hole that goes on for quite a while. There's a couple uh, saws that I have though. So rusty as well. Yeah. So if they if if they don't have a specific name badge on them, some of them just say warranted superior, which is basically like a second line from normal from hand saw manufacturers saying. That okay, this saw is really good, but it doesn't meet our like ninety-five percent confidence. It doesn't meet up to our code. We're not going to throw that away. We're not going to start over. We're just going to sell it as like a second run. It's going to be kind of like okay, our our hand saw is the Cadillac. We're going to shell. We're going to sell you the Chevy under the warranted superior name. And sometimes you'll still have all the markings for a Distin or an Atkins on the actual saw plate itself on the metal, but the little badge says warranted superior because something somewhere along the way didn't meet their quality standards. So any of those hand saws that you have, do what? I didn't know any of this. I just, I have some of these accounts on Instagram that like hand tool guys that like you, I'm like, how do they have all this information? Because the tools that I have, a few of them, they're so rusty, I can't see any identification on them to even go down the rabbit hole of finding more about them. Well, that's why you do, that's why you do the restoration work. Um, a lot of times, things are hidden underneath all that rust. Um, I didn't, I mean, uh, 
like on saws specifically, Henry Distance and Sons would actually use an acid etching uh, on the saw plate to put in their logo and put in the style of the saw. There were there there was a various styles that they had depending on what the saw was to do and who it was sold to. Um, so. To even find that, you have to scrape away all that rust and then clean the metal up really good because it was it's very faint. I've got one, maybe two saws in my collection that I can actually clearly make out that it says Henry Distant and Son on. The rest of them, you would never know. You'd never know it's a Henry Distant and Son unless you have other information or you have one of those badges, like I said, on the handle of the saw. So while you're out for work, are you searching like Craigslist and stuff to find old handles? I don't like Craigslist so much because a lot of times the pictures are just really, really terrible. They're shot with like a Nokia. It feels like they're, they've taken a Nokia flip phone and try to take pictures and stick them on Craigslist. I'm like, who takes these pictures? They're I don't get it. Photos. They're, exactly. Probably they're they, product, yeah. yeah, probably, probably. They're they're like they're a Polaroid from nineteen seventy seven. Yeah. They've <laughs> that they've then taken a picture of with a camera phone and then posted that. So most of the time whenever I'm traveling because I don't have the time to necessarily try to meet up with someone because the timing doesn't work out, um, I won't look at things like that. I'll just try to hit a, hit an antique store if I can. Um I work out, the good news is because I do work out of town so much, I get to see a lot of different places, and a lot of, sometimes a lot of these small towns have got really good antique stores, and if you know, if you know what you want, and you know what to look for, you can get a heck of a deal, especially if it's an antique store with a lot of glass in it, or a lot of what I call grandma's knickknacks in it, basically things that are... (laughs) Things that are still antique, they're just, they have no value to me. They have value to someone, and that keeps the, keeps the antique store in business, but it has no value to me. So occasionally you'll find that one vendor, one person in an antique store that they bought a whole estate sale of grandma's, of grandma's knickknacks and just happened to have a little bit of grandpa's tool shed in it, and it's like one box of something. And you might come, come away with a heck of a deal. Because the people that run the booth don't know anything about what they have, and they're just trying to get rid of it. You know, they might have twenty bucks in a box, and maybe asking fifty for the box altogether. So, if there's something specifically that you're looking for, you have to one, you have to know a lot of the information about it to to make yourself kind of a little bit wiser than the average person. Um, because antique stores. I mean, how often do you go antiquing, I guess? I haven't been in Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you need See, to go antiquing no, a little. Okay. So you need to, you know, need to do a little more antiquing. So, in the town over, it's a big deal, and their downtown area, too, like, it's all antique shops, but everything mm-hmm. over there is so marked up. Uh, that's why I don't go. Okay. So, okay. It's... it's, it's antique we have to mark it up by 400 percent what it's actually yes called. yes so in that case it, what it does it leads me to find like a little antique store that has mostly grandma's knickknacks and look around and kind of see that hey i'm interested in buying something those people don't have it and just ask it's like hey is there a place that might have stuff like this and sometimes they just like no don't know anybody like that because they don't want you to go to their competition even though they don't have anything that you could buy from them, they just don't want you to go to someone else to buy it. Other times they're like, oh yeah, there's a junk store like three miles away that they just they just have junk. That's, that's what it looks like. It just looks like junk. Because the really good stuff a lot of times does look like junk. The really good old tools look terrible. So don't be intimidated now that we have all the secrets on how to make them look better. Yes, yes. Now there's still there's still some finesse about it. I'm not going to give away all my all my secrets, but I'm trying to give away practical knowledge, practical use stuff for people that want to get a couple hand planes and try to make them work. Now the flattening of the soles, the sharpening of the plane irons, that's that stuff that has to be done 
in person. You have to learn those skills in person. Sharpening a plane iron, you can watch videos all day long, but until you get the rhythm down, you'll never know what it's right, what's what is really right. Now there's ways to cheat the system, of course. There's always, you know, buying jigs, which I'm going to say I cheat the system sometimes. There for big plane irons, I use a jig. It it works well because I don't want to move 3 inches of steel constantly for like 30 minutes. <laughs> Whenever I have a little jig, I can just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for 30 minutes, but at least it's a jig and it's going to keep me in the right bevel. It's going to keep me at the right angle the entire right. time. Um which I mean, I guess takes me into a whole other thing, flattening the sole. That's uh that's a whole other piece of work. Once you get the rust off of something doesn't necessarily mean that things are true and square and plumb. So once you get once you clean up that square, check that square against something that you reasonably think is square. Okay. You can see that you can see the, issue. Okay. So yeah. And there's there's various ways of doing that. Sometimes you're fortunate enough to have a woodpecker square that is you know they're guaranteed to be within like one ten thousandth or something like that something crazy like machine precision quality sometimes you don't sometimes you're not that lucky i mean how many squares do you have outside of this combination square at least four and i okay. often feel like they're not square they're not square yeah. okay okay well i mean you can do some pretty simple tests take take a piece of plywood or take something that you know has got a true edge. I normally say plywood or MDF because those edges are generally pretty square. I'm not going to say they're dead on 100%, you know, 90 square face to face to face, but they're going to be good enough to at least give you an idea of how square the square is that you're using. And what you can do is the two line test. What you do is you take the square and face the face the I guess the head part of it to the left mark a line flip it over move it over maybe an eighth mark another line and see if those lines are parallel if they're not parallel then more than likely it's out of square okay. and that's a that's a test you can do over and over and over again and you can do it with a marking knife because you can go you can score a line then flip it over, put your knife back in that scored line, and see if it follows. If it doesn't track, then it's not square. Any tips on how to make square square here? How to make a square square? Oh, that's that's a whole other ordeal, unfortunately. A whole other episode? That's a, that's a whole other... <laughs> I possibly couldn't explain it through a podcast. That's definitely like a... That one I'm going to refer to a very quality hand tool guy by the name of uh, James Wright, Wood by Wright. He has like a whole video about how to make a square square. And it's not too complicated, but I know I could not explain it over a podcast very well. <laughs> you just find him on YouTube? Yes, you can find him on okay. YouTube. That's his, that is his primary job. He is a content creator. And he's the, he's the epitome of the hand tool guy. So, and honestly, I don't know that he does that much. I mean, he does, I think he does his own restoration, but I don't think he ever talks about doing restoration of planes or anything. So, I don't know. There's there's plenty of guys that do. There's there's a lot of different ways to restore planes. There's a lot of ways to restore saws, this, that, and the other. What I've given is just kind of basic information to try to help out somebody trying to restore anything, honestly. Like any metal tool trying to get it trying to get it back to a state where it looks like a tool again and you can find out more about it and potentially use it. I'll have to give it a shot with my couple things. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely look up and see if you can find evapo rust. That's my like what I call my idiot proof solution because <laughs> as long as you don't have the whatever your long piece is sticking out of the water. So basically what would, for you, what would be the rule part of that combination square sticking out of the water or out of the solution too long, because what it'll do is it'll make a little line in it oh, okay. where the, where the liquid stops and the air starts. Yeah. 
Right. Um, it'll put a little line there. You can just flip it, like it, set it in there for an hour and then flip it over and then do it. Um, because if you leave it sitting there too long, if you're like me and occasionally forget about the stuff that's sitting there, I mean, I think I had some, I think I had some hammerheads sitting in Vapo Rust for almost a week because I completely forgot they were in there. They didn't dissolve. They just <laughs> they were a lot blacker than they than they started. Because of how the little chemical works, it'll turn iron black. But once you clean it, you'll never know it was there. Have you heard of a sandflex block or a sandflex? Actually, as a matter of fact, I had a whole discussion with sand about sandflex from Klingspore at the Klingspore show this Saturday. Like, or I guess Saturday two days ago, mm-hmm. Saturday. Because I was at the Klingspore event, they're the manufacturer of Sandflex. So, do you do you like Sandflex? Do you like to use I ha- it? I haven't used it, but that's what my uncle was suggesting that I use. It's it's a very quality product. Um, for me, it doesn't work for a lot of the applications I have because Evapo Rust generally takes care of a lot of the small details, and I don't have to break out a block and sand anything. But for your joiner bed. Your molder, like your molder table, all that stuff, that would be perfect. Especially if you have the little, do you have like all three of them or just one of them? The 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 little blocks, because I think they've got like a coarse, a medium, and a fine. Yeah, I haven't looked. I haven't gone out for them, but he said there was the two, the three different grades of them. Yeah, they have a coarse, a medium, and a fine. And for the listeners that don't know what it is, um. Basically, Sandflex is, I think, a proprietary product of of Klingspore, which I'm also a huge, huge fan of. I think they make some of the best stuff on the planet for abrasives. Uh, I just happen to be fortunate enough that their, corporate, their North American corporate headquarters is about two hours from where I live, so I get to go there frequently. Um, but they are an abrasives manufacturer, and Sandflex is one of their products. It's basically, it's like a size it's like a piece of bar soap honestly like size roughly and it's pretty much just rubber and raw grit mixed together so pretty much instead of having like a normal sanding block where it's just kind of sandpaper on a couple of sides with a little piece of foam in the middle to make it rigid this is basically just sandpaper through and through with rubber to help kind of give you grip yeah and it's great stuff. I think I love it. I've used it. I just like to use it in combination with the Evapo rusts. Right. Because if you don't have time, like I do, to spend all the t- all your time trying to sand all those little tiny surfaces, like on a hand plane or some of the other tools that I have, Evapo rust works perfectly for that. It doesn't. It gets into basically almost all the spots. But the Sandflex yeah, but- works works great for big surfaces because unless you have the evaporust gel you won't be able to use evaporust or any sort of rust uh, rust remover on a large surface large flat surface I might have to do a side by side and the joiner do it and then on the other side hey do it do it because I the guy that runs their social media legitimately told me if if you use our product with Evapo Rust to kind of see where we're at, there's a potential that I can leverage that to have Evapo Rust sold in our stores, which I would love because Evapo Rust is is great. I love it. Once again, we are not a sponsor podcast. Yeah. Stephen just loves what Stephen loves, and I love <laughs> Cling Spore and I love Evapo Rust. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's legit. That's what it is. I got some good starting points now. I'm excited to, to order some of this stuff so I can get yes. my combination square clean. I've actually been yes. looking into buying the combination square, so this should work out better. That should work out better. And the good news about it, the way that thing's kind of designed, is that you, you loosen it up and don't loosen up the entire way, and you can just flip it around instead of having to flip-flop from side to side, you just literally move the head on one side or the other. Got it. Yeah. And it's a great tool. I think the I think the rule is much thicker than your average combination square rule. I think it's almost like a full eighth inch thick or more. Like, it's it's heavy metal for sure. The liquid was still in the level, too. I had a wooden level that had dried out. 
So I just got rid of that because there's no point. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, all right. Well, um, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else? Because I feel like I've talked almost the entire time. No, well, I mean, I needed your input, so this was perfect. And all right. I'm sure there's a lot of people that will be listening that you know, some of their old tweets. Yes, 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 yes. And, I mean, this really honestly applies no matter if it's hand tools, metalworking leather, anything that's a metal tool or metal in general, this kind of applies to other than specialty non-ferrous. So brass, copper, bronze, aluminum, because none of those things rust, and they have to be treated in a completely different manner whenever they look like crap. I'm sorry, say that again? I don't think I have to worry about any of those. No, I don't think... I think the only thing... On your, maybe on your wrenches, you might actually have brass pins to hold the wood on. But honestly, like a little scuff with some sandpaper or, or scotch bright, make those things look like brand new. Sure. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we covered getting rid of rust, or we covered oils, we, were, we covered lead based paint. Hopefully, you won't have to deal with that, but it's there. Um, what else? Uh, totally forgot. Broken and missing parts. So, <laughs> yes. So, broken and missing parts. If parts are missing, unfortunately, old hand tools, uh, you have to track them down. They're, you can't just buy them off a shelf. You can't really buy them from McMaster Car or Fastenal or one of those. You can't go to the manufacturer because most of the manufacturers don't exist anymore. But if you have any specific tools that you're missing parts for, please feel free to contact me, um, and I can I can help with that because I have Facebook groups and a bunch of individual contacts that do this stuff for a living. They have untold thousands of dollars in tools that they just collect, and they've got miscellaneous pieces and parts for those. So if you get in contact with me, we can try to find you the right part to get whatever tool it is back up and running. Now, most of them are woodworking hand tools, but there are other guys that do have some of the odds and ends stuff too because whenever we buy rust, we buy anything that's rusty just about. Cool. Yeah. And then the broken stuff, if it's broken metal... You can potentially weld it or braze it if you have a connection like that. Or if it's wood, I mean, we're woodworkers, or some of us are. I think a good number of people listen to podcasts are, correct? I think so. Yeah. So, it's wood. It can be glued back together. It may not look like a, the original, but with some finesse and some time, you'll learn how to take say, a broken tote for a hand plane or a broken knob, clean it up, figure out kind of what the wood species may be. If it still exists as a wooded species, you might be able to find a little piece or part, glue it on, sand it, use a rasp, use spoke shave, use something, and kind of shape it back into what looks sort of original. Put finish on it, and no one ever, no one will ever be the wiser. Or you can be like some of these hand tool guys who like to take um, like rosewood handles and then because it's got a big split or crack in it, they take maple. They take a piece of hard maple and jam it in there so they have that nice contrast. They, you know, they're the guy that has the, uh, the 1957 Chevy and they have like a 2001 Chevy logo on it or something like that. They have to be, you know, they got to be a little different. You know, us hand tool guys were definitely kind of a different sort of crowd. And when you customize it, you can make it your own. Exactly, exactly. You'll know no one ever. You'll know no one else will ever have a tool like that, because yeah. no one generally tries to put rosewood with maple. <laughs> Some people do though. It's it doesn't look bad most of the time because the guys that do it generally do it professionally, so they make it look really smooth. All right. I have to re-listen to this episode and take notes. Everyone's supposed to check out on YouTube and I just probably so. 
All right. Well, please let me know, and I'll I'll do the best I can to to help to help you out to help out anybody listening to the podcast as far as hand tools go, because that's my jam. That's what I like. Sure. And yeah, and check my Instagram. Like I've done some posts in the past about restoring and repairing different tools. Um, so there's information on there, and um, you know, if there's something you have a question about, shoot it to me, or shoot, send me a picture. Sure. Because you did. I mean, that told me a lot more. Exactly. We have connections. We can we can get something straightened out for sure. We're trying to we're trying to put life back in these old tools. See, I have faith. I think it's gonna work. I think I, I think it is too. I think I think even if you don't go the evapo ruster out, if you do the the distilled white vinegar, um, and do it do it quick and don't let it soak too long, it should it should look great. Honestly, I think I think that's gonna look like a really really nice square when it's done. Oh, send me photos of the finished product. Definitely, please do keep shoot. Put them on Instagram. Let us know. Let like the rest of us know what's going on. <laughs> for sure alright well do you have anything to add are you good are we all we all good for the evening because I've jawed on enough hey, cool. cool you know what you're talking about though I know some of what I'm talking about I don't know that I'm I know that much but I know some I'm I'm halfway decent at it so <laughs> well with that Martina I'm going to let you get back to your evening because I assume it's about dinner time there so (laughs) do what you can get back to your hotel room and your food network I can get back to my food network or history channel whatever it is so you have fun and I will talk to you soon everybody please enjoy the podcast and if you have any questions shoot us a message thanks for having me back Oh, no problem. We'll have you on definitely again, especially maybe after we get the tools restored. We can have a a follow-up episode. Yes. Sounds good to me. All right. Take it easy. Thank you for listening to our show. Be sure to check out MakerVisionPodcast.com. We'll post valuable resources, tips, and info about anything we've talked talked about in today's shows or past shows. And all these things are to help your Maker Vision become a maker reality. If you have any questions or suggestions or any comments about what you heard today or once again in previous episodes, feel free to drop us a line at makervisionpodcast at gmail.com, on Instagram at makervisionpodcast, or through mine and Trevor's personal Instagram accounts, and that is Old South Woodcraft or Maker Experiment. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review and a and just some really nice words to to let us know how good we're doing. Or if you didn't like it, let us know what you didn't like about it. Either way, we're happy to hear from you. And you can go and do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Once again, thank you for joining us on our podcast, and we really look forward to hearing, hearing from you next week. 